This week on The Real Guy Podcast, we have Inigo Garastola. Inigo is the vice president of the Players Union for the Highlight Association. He brings us up to speed on where Highlight is today, where it once was, and where it's going. One of the best bottom fishermen in South Florida, and a huge voice in the world of Highlight, this is Inigo Garastola. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Well, is it, is it like is that is it is it like real common amongst highlight players to fish? Yes, but not the ocean. I'm like the only one because back then it was it was like the highlights were more like seasonal. So it was, you know, a lot of people would rent places, you know, and to own a house like my dad played Milford. Uh, which is in Bridgeport or in Connecticut, uh-huh. Dania, six months and six months. So, you know, to have a house in each place or to have a boat in each, you know, it was, it was tough. So they would do a lot of inshore, you know, like fishing from bridges and piers and stuff like that. A lot of hunting too. But, you know, year long highlight at Dania didn't come till after the strike, till I think it was like 92 or late 80s or early 90s. So I've been. It's much easier for me when you live and you play 11 months a year in one place, you own a house or whatever, and, and you're you're there. You know, you're not like, you know, going place to place. So right. that's why you know, I always ask the old timers, you know, nobody had a boat back then or nobody would, you know, snapper fish or kingfish or do things like that. And they're like, not really. I mean, you know, you were moving, you know, four Pierce Highlight, three months, then Ocala, then this. So, you know, when it was huge back then, it wasn't like you were stationary in one spot. You would adapt to, you know, whatever hunting or fishing there is wherever you were, you know. Right. But, um, yeah, I think I've been like the only one to really, uh, you know, have a boat. Water. Yeah, and be in the salt, like main salt water. But, I mean, growing up, I was on the piers and in the canals and doing all that stuff too so welcome to the real guy podcast thanks thanks for having me Jeff. you got a real guy in the uh in the studio today anigo anigo um we met each other hiding from a storm <laughs> while we were fishing and uh he uh, introduced himself to me and asked me if i wanted to ever come down and see highlight yeah that's true yeah that's uh that's how we met and one of the few guys here in Fort Lauderdale that is out fishing almost I don't know, say every day, but very often, is Inigo. What's your favorite fishing? Uh, bottom fishing, snapper and grouper, hundred percent. So you're really into bottom fishing. Now that seems to be the I don't know. Should I say the Cuban way? <laughs> well, I don't use yo-yos, so <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you could call it uh, you know Cuban way, but. Uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, when I was introduced to the ocean kind of fishing instead of inshore stuff, I I was taught bottom fishing from the beginning. I, I just kind of just linked with it. I I, I, I love it. I, I've, I've liked it for many years now. One of the things people don't realize about uh, bottom fishing is how much time and energy it takes to get your spots dialed in according to what the tide's doing or the winds or whatever. They think, oh, you just go out and put something on the bottom. And that's kind of what I do, which is why I never catch shit down there. <laughs> I can catch anything on the surface. But when it comes to bottom fishing, it's definitely not my game. But how much time are you putting in? That, that's, that's the main thing. You know, a lot of people think that 
to go out there and catch, you know, they see me at the dock or even the FWC officers sometimes are like, you know, uh, where'd you get it? Or, you know, where, where, you know, give me some numbers. And even if you have the numbers, it, you know, there's a lot that goes into catching, you know, three or four quality mutton snappers or a couple groupers. And, and what you said is, is key is, is, you know, reading the conditions. Maybe that's one of the things that kind of keeps me going. You know, every day is different out there. You, you could go out there one day and you have beautiful conditions, nice north current, and you're successful. And then a couple days later, you want to take a buddy out there and the conditions are completely different and you have to adapt to that. So um, one of the key factors is reading the conditions, depending on how much current there is, fishing shallower, deeper, um, if there's wind and current, positioning the boat properly uh whether you're going to be power drifting or anchor fishing um i love anchor fishing i've spent a lot of hours out there learning how to anchor and and that's key i mean to me that's the number one thing you know you, you go out there you read the conditions you look at the gps and even today i've been doing this for 12 years now three or four times a week and even today it, it takes me three or four times sometimes to look at the GPS and see where I'm sitting and say, all right, if there's a fish here, I got a good chance of, of catching it. And, you know, if it's a grouper and, you know, I'm a good distance away to, to have a good chance at, at, you know, him not rocking me up. So it's, it's not that easy. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that go into it, but I think one of the most challenging things is, is reading the conditions and positioning the boat, you know, and putting yourself in, in, in the situation to, in the to zone you need to be yeah, in. Exactly. Well, I tell you one person that's going to listen to the podcast because he's a big fan of yours. He's always asked me, dude, what's an ego doing? Is our buddy Drew from FWC. <laughs> he watches you fish, and I'm telling you, he eats his heart out. So you're obviously doing something right out there. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes me. Yeah. Yeah. He's always like, dude, dude, dude. And he's like, because, you know, he's been working hard at getting that uh, bottom fishing game dialed in. And he does, and he's doing better and better, but it's, you know, work in progress. So when he sees you successful, you know, it makes him more motivated. Yeah, yeah, and he asks a few questions, and I give him some information. And we haven't fished together yet, but we're supposed to fish together. And it's like anything, you know, you got to be careful with what kind of things you give up or spots and stuff like that. But I was very lucky. You know, I was very lucky to have a couple people teach me things that took them many, many years to learn. I'm talking many, many years, and and. I got lucky, you know, they gave me a handful of spots. I spent a lot of time myself, you know, kind of, you know, working on all that and, and, and making my own, you know, thing work and finding more st uh, spots myself. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, Drew's, he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy, and I'm willing to, to teach people, you know. And we're lucky to have Drew out there for the FWC guy here in Broward County because he kind of makes the rest of the guys shine that much better and it's just a heck of a lot better situation than we have down there in biscayne bay and Hullover. so yeah counter mm -hmm. blessings with drew and some of the fwc officers down here the reason um i had an ego in this week is he's the vice president of the high life players union now is that a national it's a, it's actually or the called, only yeah union? it's the only union yes it's it's actually called the the it's IJAPA it's I J A P A which is International High Ally Players Association uh, yeah it was formed during a strike in 1988 um, which 
some people that know about highlight know there was a big strike back then and and you know there was a lot of members back then and now uh there's very few and i'm the vice president of of that union that still today exists right and you're what second or third generation highlight second generation my dad my dad played for 25 years and that's the reason why actually my name some people might you know find it weird you know it's it's basque the the name is from the north uh part of spain the basque region which is where highlight comes from um i I play with arietta and and the reason why i have that name is because my dad and my mom both are from from the basque uh country And, and i was born in Connecticut and Bridgeport, Connecticut, because my dad was playing highlight uh, in Connecticut at the time, uh, and you know, and then after the years went by, we, you know, we ended up going back to Spain to live, and uh, and you know, some other highlight players stayed here, but you know, that's that's where my name comes from, is because you know my parents are from from the Basque region. I'll tell you something in- interesting about the Connecticut highlight. So I went to school up in University of Connecticut. And it felt like a fish out of water up there. But when I would go down the highway and I would see the high lie sign, it kind of gave me like, okay, I'm not that far out of my element. You know what (laughs) I mean? Because growing up here, you never not saw the high lie advertisements. And Connecticut was one of the few places that I'd been where I saw, you know, some of the advertisements in the actual sign. And I knew guys were going to watch high lie. Now, back in the 80s, um, here in Fort Lauderdale, I mean, highlight was a, you know, a thing to do. I mean, lots of people went to highlight and bet accordingly. Um, it was huge. It was huge back then. Yeah. I mean, and the, your dad, so he played in the glory days of the highlight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played in the, you know, he turned pro in I think '66 or '64 in Miami. Uh, it still wasn't huge. I mean, back then in the '50s and '60s, it was very big in Mexico and Cuba. It still hadn't exploded here in in florida but definitely in the 70s and 80s i mean you said fort lauderdale but i mean in florida there there were i think 11 highlights back then i mean every major city had a highlight i mean yeah, tampa you, was huge yeah tampa orlando miami highlight dania highlight west palm beach melbourne highlight daytona um fort pierce ocala I mean, besides Jacksonville, I think, you know, every other main city had, there was nothing else to, it, it, it's all linked to gambling. And, and back then, there was nothing to gamble on if it wasn't a, a high life fronton, a dog track, or a horse track. You know, there, there was no Indians back then, and no slot machines, and no poker, and none of that. And that's why it was big. I mean, the, the sport was huge. It attracted thousands of people, Jeff. It was it was it was huge. I mean, Dania used to have four or five thousand people on a Saturday. Miami Highlight has recorded up to ten, twelve thousand people on Saturday nights. It was. I can remember. I it can was huge. Re- I can remember Dania in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, and we would show up, and there, like you said, two, three, four thousand people, and they would be chanting Joey, Joey, <laughs> Joey, and I always remember Joey, and. Um, then I could pay attention. We used to read the newspaper back then. Yeah. You know, okay. What did he do? You know. But he was like the, uh, you know, the. He was the main guy. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, you know, like, you know, like in, in horse racing, the guy that won all the races, you know. And he was American too, which was weird. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Joey I just figured he was Cuban oh, or no, Latin Joey, or whatever. Joey was was American, and and back in the day, I mean, during that time, 
the 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 main I mean the the, the superstar highlight players were, were from the Basque region I mean 90% of the players were from the Basque region um, but just let's say in Florida you had 10 or 11 highlights 40 man roster you had 400 players here and and let's say there was 10 or 12 or 15 superstars they were all from the Basque region but one and it was Joey and Joey could compete and he won numerous tournaments against the Basque guys that's why a lot of people you know would root so, for him so they know? put their money on him a lot of the times just because he was American yeah he was like good the, and the American, American dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was very good a very good player and he was American too and I think that that had a lot of people on his on his side but you gotta bet for something right? yeah yeah of course you know I'm sure most people didn't realize you know uh, the ins and outs of the sport so going with your local favorite Joey was the man now you keep mentioning the the, the Basque region yeah, now, that's is that where highlight originated from? Yes, the Basque region is it's it's Spain. It's it's a part of Spain. It's three million people. That's where I mean we have our own language, our own culture. That's where this whole fronton, you know, like front tennis and handball and highlight uh, come from. The thing is, the highlight got exported all over the world. I mean. People figured out how to make money with this thing, with the gambling part. So it's, it's and some people I know a little bit about politics. I mean, the Basque region um, is linked a little bit to some sort of controversy. There was a, a terrorist group, um, you know, formed back in the day that would fight for the independence of, of the Basque region. And still today, there's a lot of people that, that, um, that defend that. Obviously, the terrorist group uh, no longer exists. It was called ETA, E-T-A, um, and they killed a lot of people and politicians. And you know, the Basque region was a little bit relate, you know, a little bit related to either politics or, or highlight. Um, but yeah, it's all related to you know its own region, its own culture, and that's where you know we Basque people uh, they they believe that they are Basque. You know, they don't you know they don't consider themselves Spanish, like from Spain, even though still today, you know, you have a Spanish passport and legally you're, you know, you're Spanish. Kind of like Sicily in, in Italy. Yeah. The yeah. Sicilians say, I'm Sicilian. And, they don't say they're Italian. And, I exactly. Same thing. And, and now it's softened up a lot, you know, with the terrorist part. I mean, they realize that, you know, I think they killed over a thousand people in oh, 30, geez. 40 years. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people were against that, obviously, you know, they were in favor of the ideas of, of being independent. And, and I mean, there's, I mean, I think Uruguay has three million people and, and, and they're their own country in the Basque region, no doubt would be able to sustain itself, but there's, there's money in the Basque region. You know, it's the North part of Spain. Uh, it's San Sebastian, Bilbao. It's very close to France. There's a lot of tourism. There's a lot of industry there. So the Spanish government, you know, would never, you know, buy it, you know, because, you know, tax money. And if the Basque region was, uh, you know, a piece of land where there's, you know, a few crops and, you know, this sport that these guys play thrown against a, a wall, you know, they, you know, many years ago, they would have just said, all right, you guys want to be independent? Go ahead. But you know that's that's a controversial uh, thing but uh uh yeah i mean there's the basque region is is famous in in all over the world and actually highlight is one of the things that's made it known all over the world is is this this unique uh sport that was huge and i mean in, in florida it was it was huge yeah florida florida was probably the biggest in the country the um so 
how did you get to become the VP of the Players Union? Well, that that's not difficult to do. I mean, like you know, there was a, there was a strike, like I said, uh, back in the day in 1988. It was actually the longest. Uh, strike to ever happen in in any sport in the United States. It it, it lasted three years. Um, you know the highlight players were having some problems with the owners. The owners were making money. Uh, they would treat the players like you know not like crap, but they wouldn't let them have any kind of representation. No you know attorneys. Uh, so you know they got tired. The players got tired and said, "Man, these guys are making a lot of money," and you know. You know, we can't defend ourselves. So, you know, the, the union was formed back then. Um, and little by little, the, the, the highlights went closing, you know, because, you know, lack of interest and people went in different directions. So there's been less and less and less members of that union until today, until about a few years ago, that Dania was the only place. And we only had 36 players at Dania Highlight, which were members of this of this union. So I've been at Dania for 20 years now. I started with the union, you know, as a rep, and then little by little people retired, and I was one of the older ones. So I kind of, you know, the guy that was the vice president retired, so I kind of picked up that position. Not, not that you make money off of it or anything. It's just to help the sport, you know, and sure. represent ourselves. And I knew... You know, since I was the rep at Dania, I knew a little bit, you know, the owners and how to negotiate with them and, you know, treat them and, you know, uh, the law and a lot of things. So I, you know, I became the, ironically, the vice president of the union that was formed when I was a little kid. I was on the picket line when this thing was formed. I mean, I, I was literally going to the picket line in 1988, you know, when my dad was on strike and I was eight years old. I was you know, holding up a sign for unfair labor practices or whatever it was. And ironically, you know, today I'm the vice president of what was formed back then. Yeah, kind of like, um, I don't know, natural leader just because of the knowledge that you got at such a young age and were able to grow up down here and, um, you know, be able to be able to um, share that with the other players. Yeah. Now, today, the state of highlight. Um, a lot like dog racing and horse racing, um, it's fading away. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the situation. Um, dog racing was banned, I think, three years ago. Um, High lies just now, this past uh, summer, uh, the state of Florida uh, passed a bill which is tied into the compact bill that the Indians have negotiated with the state. Um, but it's the separate bill that that is known as decoupling and and decoupling means uh, decouple the paramutual side to the slot machine poker side of your business so it's sad because the paramutuals only had the paramutual side up until 2004 which was horse racing dog racing and highlight 2004 there was a bill that was passed that allowed the paramutuals to have slot machines which was a statewide referendum and some people ask well why is there slot machines in palm beach or in orlando and other counties and it was something that was tried to pass statewide and it didn't pass and then they did it countywide and miami-dade and broward county got slot machines so the sad part is that once they got slot machines the owners really didn't care 
for the paramutual side anymore. And the paramutual side is what got them to to the having a casino. So little by little, they just focused on on the casino side and and just you know with people losing interest in going to highlight and changing their habits and having a let's say antique way of betting which is this round robin system that never been changed and 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 the owners concentrating on slot machines this past summer they with lobbyists and obviously with some attention in Tallahassee they were able to get this law passed where you don't have to have highlight anymore so Right now, we've been notified uh, at Dania that uh, they're no longer going to play uh, starting November uh, 28th of, of, of this year. Wow. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're basically, they, you know, they're, they've notified us that Miami Highlight was only playing a short season, which was a two-month season, and they've already announced that they're not going to play. And, and, and that was a short season. Dania was a longer season. We were playing seven months a year, you know, 26 players, and... And and just now we've been notified that that you know it's 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 gone you know the the it's been at Dania, I think, nineteen fifty three it started and there's not been one time that there's not been highlight at Dania highlight since nineteen fifty three, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's according to the owners it's going to happen now in in November so it's it's pretty sad to be honest it's sad and it's it's especially sad here. Because if Dania Highlight was to close, I just figured that the way the Hard Rock's set up, with as much gambling and as much you know stuff as they promote out there, that would have been natural for them to take on Highlight and yeah. just have it out there, which you know I didn't think too much about until I spoke with you a couple of weeks ago and I knew you were coming in, and then my mind's turning like, okay, they can make more money per square foot with a slot machine than they can with the players playing the highlight in the sport exactly and, exactly and as sorry as the entertainment is profit is the motivating factor it seems like yeah yeah i mean the show that that the sport itself is i mean the level of play is is great you know the sport hasn't changed it's just people's habits have changed and then the owners buy square footage i mean look at the look at the size of this court i mean this court's 178 feet long i mean it's it's big and and if the requirement to have slot machines uh was to have highlight and it's not there anymore you know the owners have been losing money with it you know for the recent years so they're like well what turned out is their opportunity ended up being their opportunity costs exactly yeah exactly that that should happen in the bar business also you know what i mean um for the longest time, you know, there and there still is all sorts of rules about, you know, well, if you serve food and it has to be full service, then you can have a liquor license and you can do this and you can do that. And then if you don't do that, then you can't do this and you can't do that. And like I said, you know, it was about the opportunity where now it's about the profit. It's about the profit. And and it's that's it. It's about the profit. So know? so where do you go from here? Well, uh, we got to see. We we have individual contracts uh, signed through May, and we have a collective bargaining agreement uh, with the union and the company that's signed through March of 2023, which we just renegotiated this past January. Um, so we have to see. You know, we have a negotiation coming up with them, 
it, it appears that they're just going to try to buy us out and, and just say, look, we were going to lose X amount of money in the next couple of years with you guys. The state of Florida doesn't require highlight anymore. We were going to be done with it anyway. So instead of running this whole operation and having all these other costs that go tied into it, maybe it's better for us to work something out with you guys. And, and so they want to settle. They kind of want to settle. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is good. Uh, in the sense that at least they're, they they understand the situation, they understand there are contracts. There's going to be a lot of legal stuff, I would assume. You know, there's some articles in the CBA that benefit them, some that benefit us. Obviously, it could all be resolved, you know, between us, and and kind of let the sport rest for for you know, just to say in a way, a Dania, like in a good way. Um, it could get nasty and you know whatever you know they offer we might think that you know we deserve more and then you might have to go through litigation you know an arbitrator but as of right now i don't want to lose faith because the court is there it's it's i mean daniel highlight is beautiful and maybe you know they could repackage it they could they could kind of you know figure out a different way of gambling um for for highlight instead of this old you know, round robin system, which is, you know, been here for, you know, 70 years, you know, it hasn't changed the owners. Yeah, they haven't promoted the sport in the past 25, 30 years, but they just, you know, they've been concentrated on other things. But you would think they'd be able to turn a profit digitally, like everybody else has done. Like, for instance, um, football is now competing with fantasy football. It's a whole new arena and it gets people interested and people can make money off of it and so on and so forth it's just kind of weird that you would think now dog racing and horse racing that's different because you're dealing with animals and some people don't like the you know all the animal rights stuff that goes along mm -hmm. with it it's a, you know the third party the the expense that it takes when the animals aren't actually you know uh, competing but you would think when it's just you guys in your racket, what do they call the thing? Sesta. A Sesta. Yeah, Sesta. It's a ba English in basket, they call it the Americans, but it's a Sesta, which is, yeah, the highlight playing Sesta. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You got the guy and the, and the Sesta, and you would think they'd be able to take that along, and people would be able to gamble digitally, you know, maybe through Vegas or whatever they had to do, but you would think they would hold on to it in some aspect that way or yeah. be able to, to adjust that that's see that's one thing that we we kind of have in mind i mean and this is a conversation that we brought up to the owners years ago it, if we would be able to have digital betting somehow where you're able to bet on each point imagine it's like a slot i mean a slot machine you you know you pull the handle and you know if you won or not within seconds uh the, the highlight match the way it was traditionally played here in florida you need to wait 15 or 20 minutes for this game to be over and in mexico and cuba and spain and other places they actually play partidos a partido is actually a game that's played between either one-on-one -on -one or two against two and it was to like 30 points and you would wait an hour to know what um you know if you won or not but if you were able to be able to bet every point digitally that would that would be huge because the gamblers they like to know if they won or they lost quick right you know and the florida lottery came in 
I think just about the same time as the strike in 87 or 88 and people went crazy. I mean, it was a scratch off. There's never been scratch offs here and people would go to seven 11 and just, you know, they would know within a minute, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, Daniel went, you know, Florida, you know, highlight went down. Now highlight in the other countries, is it fading also, or is it more of a, just an American market that's, that, that the sports fading? In? It's, it's basically disappeared in, in, everywhere in the world besides Spain and and Spain it's fading too um, just because you know that all the good players used to be in the United States and other places so they would only go in summer to Spain and they would just play in the summer for a couple months so it would be hard to have quality players in Spain all year long because they were making they money. Make good money. Yeah, they were the, making the foreign markets. Exactly, in foreign markets. And the dollar compared to the peseta in Spain was big money back then. So they were like, you know, why would I stay in Spain and, you know, make, you know, a quarter of what I'm going to make living my dream, you know, playing highlight in, you know, Dania or Miami or Orlando, Tampa, wherever so, it was. So that was the dream of a highlight player. It was player. the dream. Exactly. Would be to come to America and play in this system. Exactly. That, that was what I grew up dreaming uh, but many, many players. It was the American dream was for the Basque players that played this unique sport in, in their own country to be able to go make a living and play professional highlight, you know, in other places and, and taking advantage of all these highlights that opened in Florida and in Connecticut. There was four of them also in Mexico and numerous other places, you know. It was it was huge. I mean, that was my dream as as a kid, you know. And I I grew up here because I was born here, but most of the guys that I played with, they were born in Spain, and and they weren't American like I was, and they didn't know know English or anything. They just wanted to go to the United States and play, you know, professional highlight. And, and I I got to play with a lot of them. You know, that that was that was the dream. Originally, when I asked the question, I meant what was going to happen to you. Not the sport. Okay. Okay, but before we get into that, um, now fuck it. What's going to happen to you? <laughs> I mean, you're second generation, and from what I can tell, that's basically how you've been supporting yourself since you've been an yeah, adult. That's true. That's true. Um, honestly, Jeff, I, I really haven't thought about it a lot. I mean, I would like to do something in in the ocean. I, I, I love the ocean. I mean, first thing that comes to my mind is, is you know, running a few charters, you know. Um, I've done some charters with uh, a local uh, known charter captain, which is Captain Mario Cote on the no vacancy, um, you know, as a mate, you know, live baiting and, you know, taking clients out there. And I, that's the first thing that comes. He's been telling me for years, you know, why don't you get your captain's license and do this, you know, on the side. And, you know, I was making good money playing highlight. And I like to just go out there and fish and catch a few snapper and grouper myself. And I didn't, you know, really want to take clients out there and, and do it. And, and now that this is, uh, you know, coming to an end, I mean, obviously it's the first thing that comes <clears throat> to my mind. And, and I mean, actually I was going to ask you how you started a little bit because not even being the captain, being the mate, I went out there a few times and we didn't get a bite. And and I was suffering being a mate. I mean, yeah, I was getting paid, you know, whatever, my 80 bucks or whatever it is. But I was like, man, if I'm the captain and I got to charge these people, you know, 450, 500, you know, 600 bucks, whatever it is, I, I didn't get a bite today. So 
I just, you know, I felt bad as a mate. I was like, man, when I'm a captain, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do it? You know, I, I, yeah, I could try different things. You know, yeah. drop on a wreck, troll, this, that. It's an, it's, a, it's anytime somebody, and can you trust me? We all feel that way. It's tough, man. But just know. remember what you're doing out there. And what I mean by that is, anytime you forget, or anytime you feel like there's pressure on you to put fish in the boat, go to the Webster Dictionary and read what fishing means. Because you're a fishing captain or a fishing guide or a fishing mate. It's fishing first. Yeah. And when you're fishing, you're not guaranteed shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I get I get what you're talking about. And you should feel that way because you want to put pressure on yourself to perform, whether it's high lie or fishing. But when you have people that are there and their hopes are in, but just you have to remember, they paid you to go fishing. They didn't pay you to put, you know, 20 yeah, pounds of red snapper in the that's, boat. That's true. If you did put 20 pounds of snapper in the boat, then you're going to get a better tip, and they're going to come again, and you're going to feel better, and everybody's going to feel better, but you are fishing. Yeah. And people really should, before they book a trip, they should go to the old Webster Dictionary and, and look at exactly <laughs> what they're buying. I would have to educate them a little bit before they... <sighs> I mean, I'm sure it's a process, Jeff, and, it's, you know, I, I really don't know, but... but you know, I'd like to just a little bit, you know, take I mean, take some people fishing and kind of show a little bit of what I do and different things. And well, I think a lot, some some guys jump into into the sport fishing market and they want to go full time. Um, I don't recommend that for hardly anybody. So if you're doing some part time stuff now, maybe that's exactly what do I was a little bit do. more part time stuff. Yeah, and then as you feel comfortable, and then you see what doors may open or may not open. You know, because you're going to look at life differently when the next chapter comes, which isn't going to be highlight, it doesn't look like. Yeah. And the relationships and the hard work that you put in, being a highlight player, being the vice president, getting to know people, may take you in a direction that you never thought of before. Yeah. And that's just how life works. And it might be fishing. Who knows? Yeah, I really don't know. I really don't know right now. But you well, know, you're I, fucking good. And that's, you know, uh, puts, you, puts you in the top 10% of anybody that goes out there. Is you actually produce. You know, I mean, you get it done um, when you're out there fishing every day. You produce good numbers of fish. So you should consider making some money doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just a dream. Um, there's hard work involved. And you were able to do a lot of that already, even though it was recreational. Yeah. There's no, you know, just like the highlight. I'm always, the, the, the harder you work at it, the more you practice, the better you get. That's true. I mean, I practice a lot. I played a lot. 20 years here at, at Dania, you know, and all my fishing has been just recreational. You know, I've, like I said, I've done a couple of trips here and there, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, 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 I put a lot of time in. I learned a lot. And yeah, I, I, I could say that I am successful at, you know, some kinds of fishing more than others just because I, you know, spend a lot of time anchor fishing, you know, and I don't spend a lot of time going 15, 20 miles offshore looking for, for dolphin, you know, but like you said, you never know. And sometimes, you know, I, we have an individual contract that we really all thought that would be played out till May of next year. It, this just caught everybody off guard and sometimes life throws shit like that right at you where you don't expect it and you have to adapt you have to deal with it because it's not always fun and games you know and and you got to know how to you know react and 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 look you know and in, in obviously in a different direction now 
Well, um, it's sad to hear the story about Highlight. Unfortunately, we're hearing lots of stories, especially in the state of Florida, about what was and what was great. And as more people move to this state, I'm afraid we're going to have more stories than actual things. Because if they think they're going to replace a sport like Highlight with fucking slot machines, yeah, it's kind of the microcosm of it all. Yeah, it's 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 sad, but it's just you know it's been such a big part of this state, you know, and and it's just sad that the owners kind of just gave up, you know, they they started losing and they just didn't want to invest in the sport anymore, and then this whole slot machine thing and gambling thing with the Indians, which started almost twenty years ago, got their attention, and they're like, you know what? Let's just let's make money in a different in a different way, and it's sad that they that they lost interest to to you know to this sport and promoting it and trying to get those people back into the place. You know, I can remember over the years some, and I don't know if you were involved in it or not, but there was certain. Are you familiar with the Billy Corbin film mm, that they put out no. with the Miami Hurricane players that were going to train to be? Highlight players, but are you talking about just recently, a few years back? Just a few years yes, back, yes. Because yeah, uh, yes, and actually, they today there is Magic City, which used to be um, Flagler Dog Track, has a highlight with some of those players and some of other players that have learned, and some other Basque players, just a couple and a couple Mexicans. But Magic City is playing on a much smaller court, which is. Let's call it not traditional highlight. But just to go tied in a little bit with the, the gaming part, the owner down there saw a little bit of a opportunity to get into sports betting and to adapt to what the law is turning into and the casino uh, the casinos are gonna technically have sports betting, the Indians are gonna have sports betting. So why not be able to fit highlight into sports betting but what he's doing down there is he's changing the way of betting and the way of playing instead of a round robin system he's playing a match between either two people or two against two and he's playing sets which is something that was introduced to the world of highlight just about eight or ten years ago in spain instead of playing to 30 points or 35 points you play two sets to 15 points if you win the first set and you lose the second set you go to a third set and you play to five so in magic city what he's doing is he's playing three sets to six points so first second and third set um just a different way and trying to get into the digital kind of betting, which what you were mentioning, uh, to be able to either bet on a set, you know, to six points or on the second set. I mean, I was talking to a person today before I came to your house about a little bit of digital, and they told me you could bet on a field goal right now live, you know, on you know football. You could, you know, go online and say, all right, he's going to make this field goal within five seconds of now, you know. So the, the idea back then on this shorter court was to introduce these you know ex Miami Hurricane players and and they learned and and they were older and they got the the hang of the game but you can't compare to what the us traditional what the traditional was. sport yeah. and and us and 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 maybe maybe myself maybe a couple players a few players get a chance to go in you know 
into that program down there but that would be a different kind of pro it wouldn't be you know traditional let's say traditional big long court highlights there's much shorter court that's well, like poker and speed poker uh, something like yeah, yeah. something like so, that yeah, or but, speed chess or however exactly but it. the idea behind it is is actually pretty smart to try to introduce a different kind of betting um to attract people at the end of the day it's to attract people to keep the sport alive and and, and make money off it because if you're losing and you're losing and you're losing you know how, how much money can you put up just to keep something alive you know right and and you know like that because it's gambling and, and casinos or whatever they're getting you know so many more expenses that other businesses don't have yeah you know because they're making their money taxes. on gambling right taxes, taxes. 35 percent right and other you know other industries don't have to you know don't have to come up with that you know the the marlins don't have to come up with that exactly. extra dough and so i mean i can see where not only is the you know uh the recruitment of new players becoming hard but the business model you guys are penalized simply because yeah. it's gambling it's gambling yeah i mean yeah. it's it's the slot the slots tax at Dania or any other casinos 35 plus another two three here it comes out to like 42 percent or something like that so every dollar that comes in i mean 42 cents is going to the state and then you got to take away all your other expenses so you know the gap to make a profit you know gets crunched up and then on top of that if your requirement is losing money you're gonna be like what well, i'm gonna you know you're gonna invest 50 grand a year or 100 grand a year to get this highlight thing going I need, you know, I need these slots to make money is, is the way they were looking at it. And it's unfortunate. But we're going to keep, you know, our, our, our faith and, and, you know. Well, we'll time we'll... goes on and it seems like, you know, the common theme, it's quantity over quality. Yep. You know, if you look at the person that's pulling the slot machine every five seconds compared to the person that would show up and maybe bring a friend or two to hang out and watch highlight those are two different people yeah and unfortunately there's a lot more of them that's true and because of that it sounds like it's a losing battle yeah i don't know what to tell you it's sad um growing up here in fort lauderdale i'd never known broward county not to have highlight yeah i've never driven down i-95 without seeing this highlight sign and Thanks to meeting you a few years ago, it's actually been back on my mind because I paid attention to how I forgot who had it, but then Boyd Gaming bought it, yep. and Penn International got in, exactly, and yep. then it, and then it got bought up by a private guy. The later. Argentinian, Argentinians, yeah. Boyd Gaming bought it, in in I mean the the previous owner he he, he sold this place for one hundred and fifty one million dollars, which was the the owner since nineteen fifty three. But when the slots came in. And and it was fifty percent taxes back then. He he sold the place. He's like, I don't want to get into. I don't want to work for the government. I don't want to work. Yeah. So he sold it to Boyd Gaming, and Boyd Gaming actually took a big hit. They never put a slot machine in there. They 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 read the. They, they kind of looked at the other places because Mardi Gras is the first one that put in Gulfstream, and they saw their numbers, and they're like, man, we're gonna, you know, build a big project here and spend two hundred million dollars or two fifty. And, and, and then compete against themselves. Compete against these other people. And we got to pay 50% in taxes, which was later changed a few years later to 35, which it is right now. But 
Yeah, they, they ended up, they bought it in 06. They paid a fortune for it. Then they sold it to these Argentinians. And these Argentinians came in as, you know, and, and that goes to show you how, you know, the owners have been changing. So how do you, these Argentinians had no idea what a high Leicesta was. You know, to negotiate with the previous owner that's been there for 50, 60 years and his father, they know what the sport was and how much money this you know, brought to their pockets. But these Argentinians come in and they're like, all right, there's a casino here. There's a highlight. All right, let me, you know, you got to educate them. And, you know, how how do you explain to them what highlight's been in Broward County or, or Florida, you know, since 1950? It's impossible. Yeah, they don't you know? understand the culture. We try to, and they understood it. But at the end of the day, they come in as investors. They, they you know, they, they need to make money. And they've been here since 2013. And they've lost quite a bit of money with, with Highlight. And they got the opportunity now to not play anymore. And they've chose this direction as of right now. And, and it's pretty unfortunate, to be honest. Well, in your further endeavors, if you ever need a recommendation on whether or not uh, you're a good fisherman or not, <laughs> You can count on me um, watching you, you know, come in consistently over the years with, with great catches. If, if I can help you in any way, um, please reach out. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Sad to see what's happening to the sport of high lie. Um, I think you're going to end up landing on your two feet and doing just well. <laughs> and it would be something that, you know, you can carry with you saying that you were in it to the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said before, you know, this is, I mean, it's sad for some of the players here. Some guy's been here for two years. I mean, the other day a kid came up to me. He's 20 years old. He's been here for a year. And he said, said, Arietta, do you think that, you know, we could do something? Do you think we could save this thing? I mean, I don't really care how much money they give me. I, I want to play highlight. You know, what do, what do I tell a kid like that when I've been lucky enough to play 20 years i mean even if this wouldn't have closed i don't know how many more years i would have played you know maybe one two three you know 42 43 44 it's it's tough you know because it's a lot of years but i was able to to on a personal level accomplish my dream i mean i was a kid growing up here i was fishing in the canals you know catching mangroves i'd go to dania pier with my dad catch mackerel this and that i would see i would go to the jetty where I actually see you almost every time I come in where you're catching tarpon over there and, and listen to this. I would be there with my dad shrimping back then, you know, in the winter, catching mangroves. And I would see all these boats come out and go fishing, you know, in, in the late 80s. And I was like, man, that's that's so cool. Maybe one day it could happen to me. Well, fast forward in 91, I was 11 years old and my sister was nine. My parents decided to go to Spain forever. Never thought I was going to come back. I was 11 years old. I studied over there. I became an English teacher. I had no idea I was going to come back to Dania. And I was playing highlight. I got the opportunity to play as a professional. I came in 2001, 10 years later. And I've been here for 20 years. And I was able to buy a boat. I was able to meet people that taught me how to fish. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not big on sword fishing and, or, or the inshore stuff, but like the offshore stuff, let's say between 50 and 300 feet of water, you know, deep dropping, I learned. I learned, you know, I had so much fun catching, you know, the tunas and the kingfish and the dolphin on the reef and the kite fishing and bottom fishing. It's a dream come true for me. And when I was a little kid, I was 
looking at these boats, you know. I was on the Daniel Pier. They'd come up and throw the cast net and cast net, you know, 600 pilchers. I'd be like, what do you need all these baits for? And I was, that was 1987. And I'm, I didn't know they would go out there and live chum and see 30-pound black fins flying up in the air. I was able to do that. And, and I, I still do it today. So on a personal level, I, you know, I can't complain with my life, you know, my highlight life and then what I've accomplished as a, as a, as a fisherman and, you know, the times I've had out there. It's just been, you know, for me, it's been a dream come true, to be honest. Dude, that's a way to stay positive. And uh, good luck with everything. Thanks for being on the Real Guy podcast. Real guys do real things. So run that dog. Good to have you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me.